0: You know, twenty years ago I became a believer in Yeshua. I came to faith in him and and almost from day one I entered into children's ministry, youth ministry. They pretty much hand you know, it's pretty much sometimes what they do with new believers who who are excited and want to serve them. They hand them a curriculum and they say, Here, teach the youth. And then I got married. And my wife said, let's just trust the Lord for how many children we're going to have. And (laughs) (laughs) next thing I know, I have five children. (laughs) So not only was it something to do for the Lord, but I'm like, you know, I'm invested in this. But even more than that, I'm a first-generation believer, which means I spent some time in the world. From the age of 13 to 23, I spent some... Serious time in the world, I experienced some great pain and sorrow in my life because of it. And so I made a commitment that I wanted to help at-risk children, youth, that I wanted to give them the gospel, that I felt like that was part of my call, that I wanted them to know that there's a creator, there's a God who loves them and cares for them and has What's best for them. And as I went to camp, I saw that most of the kids that came were not necessarily first generation, which is what I originally thought, but that they were second and third generation, that they were living in believing homes. And so part of me thought, especially that first camp I went to, that, you know, we're going to teach some Bible stories, we're going to have some good lessons, we're going to play together, we're going to kind of say, you know, this is fun. And then we're going to go our, our separate ways. A little kind of intensive discipleship. But what I found was that a lot of these kids were doubting. Were unsure that the faith of their parents was what they wanted. They saw some of the things in the world. The temptations. And that they were being drawn in. And some of them had already suffered some of those things. And it was coming out at camp. And I found myself grateful to God for the camp that he was putting together. And I found myself grateful that there was hope for them and that there's real ministry and a real need. And through the years, one of the core messages that that the Lord has given me that I really believe is critical for our young people is that we can be happy in the Lord. Now, when I say happy, I don't necessarily mean just that theological paradigm where it's like we're, we're happy, we're blessed. Yes, we're supposed to have joy. In the Lord, we have joy. And we all say that, and then we walk around like this. I have joy. I'm joyful. Joy, yes. I'm not feeling joy, but I have joy because the Bible says I'm supposed to have joy. And unfortunately, we say with our lips, I have joy, but we don't say it with our hearts and our lives. No, I'm talking about actual experiential happiness that the scriptures teach that we can be happy. A bounce in our step, laughter in our voice, joy, excitement, enthusiasm. That that's what we can have. And that I, and I don't necessarily feel like the best messenger, When I was younger in the faith, they they don't do that now because I don't think they think about it, but every once in a while, people would call me Eeyore. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'm married to Tigger, and uh, I'm Eeyore. (laughs) See, God is so good. But I want to stand, and I have to stand before those young people, and I have to say that you can be happy that what Yeshua has for you is the best life, and that that best life is a happy life, and that the scriptures teach that, and that I want that life, and you should want that life too. But I also want to say to you, do you believe that? See, if I'm going to stand before your kids, and I'm going to give them that message. I want them to come back to a community that believes that message as well. It's not just sending them off to Mike Cohen and the counselors and he's going to teach them some things and then they're going to come back. I want the community, the messianic community, the greater Christian community. I want them to know that biblically, yes, theologically, we can be blessed, but we can also experience happiness in the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And so, as I have been poring over and looking and and developing curriculum, I want to share with you from the Psalms. Psalm 16. Psalm 16, which we often cite as a messianic prophecy in Psalm 1610, and it is. But it's also a psalm that really is filled with this idea of happiness, of joy, of excitement. And so, if you look at Psalm 16, starting with verse 1 says, preserve me, O God, for I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, and that's the Lord in all caps, that's his personal name. There are many names for God. El Shaddai, El Gibor, El Elyon, Adonai, Tzvot. But these are all titles. This is the yud Vavhe. vav This is, as some pronounce, Yahweh. Or Yehovah, it's where we get the word Jehovah. This is his intimate name. This is the name that he gave to Moses. This is the name in which he said to Moses, tell the children of Israel that the yud that the I am that I am is sending you to deliver your people from bondage. His sacred, intimate name. It is a name that has been forgotten amongst the Jewish people because to say it, Many would say that that's a violation of the second commandment, taking the name of the Lord thy God in vain. But this is the relationship, just the mere fact that he said, don't tell them El Shaddai or El Gibor. Tell them that Yahweh, Jehovah, as the Masoretes vowel pointed it, is sending you to deliver my people. And yeah, some of us need to be delivered. Maybe not with the capital D, uh, with the salvation, but every day. God wants to deliver us and wants us to know the intimate joy of a relationship with him. But here's what he says. He says, I said to the Lord, to Yahweh, you are my Adonai. You are my Lord. You are my Lord. I have no God besides you. As for the saints, the Kedushim, that's where we get the word Kedosh, who are in the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight, all my pleasure, all my joy. The sorrows of those who have bartered for another God will be multiplied, and this is part of our message to our young people. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. The foundation of biblical happiness is that we accept him, the Creator God, Jehovah, Yahweh as Lord as Lord. He is the authority in our lives and I know that that scares some of us because we start to think of legalisms and following commandments and obedience and it should. We have to be careful about that but we cannot resist the important theological truth. You see I believe that good theology equals good methodology. We cannot walk until we understand and so this concept this idea that Yeshua is our authority that the God who created you and me is my my authority, he is my redeemer and he is my king. He owns me, he owns you, but that should not be a scary thing. We've made it into a frightening thing because we heap a burden. The same God who says, come unto me all you who are heavy laden and worry and I will give you rest, we've turned him into a tyrant. And he is not not that. He is the God who died for your sins and mine. He says in verse 1, preserve me. Oh, God, I take refuge in me. That means guard me. He's literally saying, guard me. It's almost like David, and David wrote this psalm when he was fleeing from Saul. You know, here's David who loves the Lord, who slays Goliath, who's battling Philistines on behalf of his king. He's just a happy guy, worshiping, playing his heart. The next thing you know, his king is jealous and insecure and starts chasing him all over Judea, trying to kill him. David could have very easily said, you know, this whole thing doesn't work. There is no God. Instead, he writes this psalm, and he starts out and he says, guard me. And I think he's really, you know, the beginning of happiness recognizes that the problem isn't always out there. It's right here. Guard me. Guard me against me. Don't let me walk away. Don't let me do something that would hinder my testimony, my walk with you. He says, preserve me, O God. I take refuge in you, which says refuge, but it can also very easily mean I put my confidence, my trust in you. That word refuge is where we get the word Hasid. Maybe you're familiar with the term chasid. That's what we call ultra-orthodox Jews who follow the law, pious, devout, but that's not really what it means. It means the confident ones. Those that put their trust in God are the true chasids. In verse 10, it says, You will not let your holy one CDK. That word holy one means chasid. Those that put their confidence and trust in you, they are the holy ones. And that's our theology, really, right? We are saved by grace through faith. Not by works that anyone should boast. It's right here in Psalm 16. David, who is a picture of the Messiah, says, I'm, I put my trust in you, my confidence, to preserve me because of my faith. Because I'm going to continue to follow you. Then he makes the declaration, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. I also want to let you know that in Psalm chapter 2, verse 12, which is also a Messianic psalm, it says, kiss the son lest he be angry This is a paraphrase. And then he goes on to say, blessed, and in your translation, I'm pretty sure all your translations say, blessed is the one who takes refuge, the same word, who puts their confidence in you, their trust in you. But that word blessed in Psalm 212 isn't blessed like Baruch. It's happy. It's the word Asher. It's happy. I mean, maybe that changes your theology a little bit. Psalm 1, verse 1. It says, blessed are the ones that don't sit in the seat of mockers or stand in with the scorners, etc. That word is not baruch. That word is asher. Happy. Does it change something when you sit down with your 12, 13, and 14-year-old? It says, happy are those that don't follow after the sinners. That God promises you not that you're going to be blessed, but that you're going to be happy. And that begins when you make him Lord when you make him Lord. But what about the difficulties in life? How are we to be happy? I think a lot of us, we just run from those difficulties or we try to gloss over them. As Bob was saying, we try to just kind of gloss over them or sort of just pretend they don't exist. Let's look at verse five and six. Let me read verse four, five, and six. It says, The sorrows of those who bartered for another God will be multiplied. I shall not pour out their drink offerings of blood, nor will I take their names upon my lips. I think one of the things that, I think that the sin that upsets God the most is idolatry. I think that's why the first three commandments are pretty much, I am the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt. Egypt basically, I am him, I am Yahweh, I am the one who's delivered you, thou shalt have no other gods before me, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. thou shalt not make graven images, he makes it very clear, and we need to tell our children that when they run after the idols of this world, and believe me, this world is after our children. You know, we were, we were, uh, I was looking at uh, Homer in the Odyssey, and, and there's a there's a story after they finished the, the Trojan War and what is it? Ulysses is going back to Greece and they're going through their ocean passage and they start to hear the siren songs. And you cannot resist the siren songs on your own, and so they have to lash the sailors to the to the mast in order to resist these beautiful songs, otherwise they 're going to jump into the sea and die. But the songs sound so beautiful that they 're willing to do that they don 't believe that there 's any danger for them that 's this world, and when we don 't understand that idolatry at its core is looking for to something else to give us the pleasures and the desires of our heart. When we choose something else other than God, then we are bartering after another God. We are guilty of idolatry. Sure, you could say, well, I don't have a graven image, but when we look to anything other than Yahweh, the Lord, our creator and our redeemer, then we are in danger. He says right here, the sorrows of those who have bartered for another God in verse 5 he says, the Lord is the portion of my cup. Notice too in Hebrew, Hebrew is a poetic, it's an artistic language. There are multiple words in a way meaning the same thing because we're, you know, the, the writers want to paint a beautiful picture. And that's a lot what goes on in the Psalms. Greek, as an example, for instance, is a more technical language. But Hebrew is more artistic and poetic, and you can start to see the mood change. He says, The Lord is my portion of my cup. Notice he is. Believing and trusting that it is not what the world has to offer, not the siren songs, not the temptations of this world, not the movies, not the video games, not the drugs, not the alcohol, not the, the the licentious behavior that is offered at no price or no consequence. But it is the Lord who is my portion, he is my cup, he is my inheritance, he supports my lot. And I believe right there that's a very important concept right there because he says he supports my lot the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places indeed my heritage is a beautiful one and I think what he's saying right there is he's saying even though even though I'm being chased after by Saul Even though I'm living in caves, even though when I was a young man and this prophet came and poured oil on my head and said that I was going to be king and and it sounded like everything was going to be good and right after that I slayed the giant and I was having all these beautiful victories and the next thing I know I find myself here in this place, I know that my God is sovereign. He is king. He is my portion. He is my lot. He is my inheritance. What I'm going through right now is for my good, and I can take joy in it. I can take joy in the company that I'm keeping in the caves. The laughter of the men who are with me and their families. I can enjoy that because I know my inheritance, my future is a good one. For David, he knew that he was going to be king. And I believe that as as difficult as it might be, and that's why, again, it starts with understanding that... Yahweh is Lord. He said, "You know what, Lord? You are you are God, you are sovereign. You anointed me by your prophet to be king, and I'm going to trust that one day I'm going to be, and while I'm in this training ground, I am going to worship and adore you." And sometimes we have to go through that. I do too. You know, I'm preaching to myself as much as to you. We have to look to him, and we have to recognize that he is king. And even when I step outside his will and I sin in his sovereignty, when I turn to him and I recognize and I maybe have to go through a period of discipline or restoration or reconciliation, I can still believe that it is for my good. I can still trust that he will use it and he will make me better than I was. And this is something that I needed to deal with. I can rest in the sovereignty of God that he is in control and step into him through his sovereignty instead of avoiding and I can say, Lord, what do you want to do in this situation? And I can begin to enjoy and delight in what he is teaching and training me and the people that he will bring in community with me as I go through this, as David enjoyed. Verse seven, I will bless the Lord. Now that word is blessed, okay? I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. And so we need to first accept his lordship, that he has love and, div- and he has a, a place For those who put their trust in him, we need to embrace the purposes that he has for us and we need to accept his path, his path for us. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. I have, and this is the key, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. And so we've talked and I've shared with you about blessing the Lord That even in the good times and the bad times We bless him We praise him We sing to him We worship him as David was able to do And as David is our example But then we also recognize that As we bless the Lord He will counsel us And he will renew our minds he will renew our minds. In other words, as we turn to him and grow and we learn and we understand what we're going through, through the word, through prayer, through, through community, through experience, our minds are renewed. Ephesians 4, 23, Romans 12, 2. I will tell you two years ago, I went to camp. And I had a a pivotal, seminal moment in my life. Two years ago, we were going through the seven realities of experiencing God. And with 36 hours before I was ready to go to camp, I started to have neck pain. Like, okay, my neck slept wrong. It'll go away, right? You know, you wake up with neck pain, you pretty much figure it's gonna go away. By about four o'clock in the afternoon, it really started to hurt. So much so that Rebecca Lones, who you know, she's does massaging, I started, she tried to massage it to get it out, didn't work, next morning I woke up, I could not move my neck, could not move, I woke up around 7 a.m., five hours later I was going to have about 20 kids showing up in my home, could not move, now it's one thing not to move your neck, it's another thing to not be able to move your neck and have excruciating pain when you move your neck. And so I went to a chiropractor. Chiropractor? Practic. Okay, thank you. And I sat down, and he's snapping it. He's twisting it. I'm, you know, just massaging electrodes, the whole thing, the whole nine yards. I've never done anything like this before, but I was desperate. You know, and I'm praying, and I'm asking people to pray, and... Seeking the Lord through all this and wondering what he's doing. And, and after I was done, the chiropractic said, he said, or practor, or however you pronounce it, he said, you know what? He said, within a day, you're going to feel 90% better. I'm like, great. Well, I left with some of that menthol, cold stuff to rub on your neck. And within another five hours, as I was driving up the, the road to Big Bear, the pain in my neck, I felt like scorpions were just attacking my neck. I pulled over on the side of the road and I just started putting this stuff on, hoping. For the next 48 hours, I'm sitting and I'm like, I can't sleep. Tears are coming down my eyes. I'm like, Lord, why? You know, I'm sure you've all had that why moment. I'm sure you've all experienced pain or some sort of other issue like this. But I'm sitting and I, I have to do all this If it happened a week before, it'd be one thing. I have to do all this in front of 40 eyes looking at me. What's next, Mr. Cohen? I have to impress upon people to do things that I normally do myself. Like, can you carry my bags? I mean, that's where we're at. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, Lord, why? But you know, I will tell you a couple things. I'm happy that I went through that. I don't ever want to go through it again. But I'm happy Because number one, God saw that I, for whatever reasons, he felt I could handle it. And he used it to grow me. And I also spent that time with 50 people, 40 kids and 10 adults, who loved me and cared for me. And at the very least, I saw a community that was prepared to not judge me. Some of them made fun of me. They came and they did the robot thing. (laughs) That was okay. I laughed. See, you can laugh. I thought it was cool. But I was with a community that loved me and cared for me. And, you know, God also showed me that, you know, Mike, the camp was a good camp. With you laid up and not being able to do as much as you could do, I still worked. And I needed to hear that message. The Lord speaks through our hearts and through our minds. He says, I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And I believe that's the gospel message. You see, the gospel message is not just that Jesus died for our sins, he did. It's not just that he was buried, he was. It's not just that he rose from the dead, he did. But when he rose from the dead, he then spent 40 years, excuse me, 40 days, Israelites spent 40 years. He's, he's testing you. He spent 40 days in the wilderness. 40 days in the wilderness. Uh, 40 days, excuse me, with his disciples. 40 days with his disciples, his apostles. Up to 500 people, according to 1 Corinthians 15, saw him, handled him. Then he ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father. Ten days later, he gave his spirit which means that you and I have him in us through the power of the spirit. Galatians two twenty. 20, Messiah is in me. The Messiah is in you. If you've confessed with your mouth, Yeshua is Lord. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You have his Ruach, his spirit in you. And you are also raised up and seated with him in the heavenly places, which means that you too in him are at the right hand of the father. He is our confidence. He is our strength. He is our purity. He is our perfection. That should not just make you blessed, but it should make you happy to know that he is in you, to know that you are with him, to know that you, are, that you can call him Abba, to know that your sins are forgiven. It's not just that our sins are forgiven, although that would be enough. It is that we are seated with him. It is that he is in us. And that as he counsels my spirit, my mind becomes renewed. Therefore, my heart is glad and my kavod, my glory rejoices. There are really two main types of glory in the Hebrew scriptures. There's the Shekinah glory. That is the glory that Israel followed in the wilderness. The cloud by day and the fire by night, that's where we get from the word Shekinah. We also get the term Mishkan, tabernacle, but there's also the kavod glory. That glory God shares with us. His Shekinah glory is his alone, but the the kavod glory he shares with us. He wants to share with you and me through the giftings that he gives you, through the talents, through the abilities. He wants to share with you his glory. Each and every one of you has a purpose. Each and every one of you has a plan. It's not that God has a wonderful plan for your life because when we say that, we think about it in terms of what we think is wonderful, but it's just that God has a wonderful plan. And when you join him in the spirit that he has given you and as you allow your mind to be renewed and as you bless him in all things, recognizing that all things work together for good. And as you grow in the spirit and the gifts that he's given you, that's happiness. That's joy. That's delight. He says, therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will dwell securely. You will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to undergo decay. This is the Messianic prophecy. This is the prophecy that Peter quotes in Acts chapter 2 in which he says that David is still in the tomb, but Yeshua is alive. He rose from the dead. He is the Rashi Katsir. He is the first harvest. And you and I are the first fruits of that harvest. We are the Yom HaBikurim. We are the first fruits of the first harvest, which is Yeshua And because he rose from the dead, we also will not be abandoned into the grave. Our flesh does rest secure. Our flesh will be renewed. We do have eternal life. Whatever we're going through on this side of eternity, we can know this, that the Spirit is in us, that we are seated with him, and that we are here just for a blink of an eye in light of eternity. In light of eternity, in which we will spend, verse 11, you will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. We are with the right hand of the Godhead. We are in Messiah. There are pleasures forevermore. Natsaret. We are eternal in him. There are pleasures forevermore. But you know what? That begins now. You have made known to me the paths of life. The paths of life doesn't start when we die. The paths of life start when we have put our trust and our faith in Yeshua. When we bless, when we set before him, continue. I have set the Lord continually before me. I have made him Lord. He is before me. I am trusting in him. His spirit is in me. He's gifted me. He's teaching me. I'm worshiping him. I am blessing him. I am loving him. And in that context, I'm happy. I'm laughing. Even if I'm not there, even if I know I'm here and I may need to get here, I can get here by looking to him. I know that that's his promises. I believe in that promise. Belief, then behavior. Let's believe. Can you stand before your child? Can you stand before the young people and say, the life in Messiah Yeshua is the best life. It's the life worth living and it's the life that will make you happy. It is a promise that when you set him before you, trusting in him, you will delight, you will have pleasure, you will enjoy, you'll laugh, you'll smile. Let's pray. Father God, Abba, we thank you so much. Lord, teach us to set you before us. Teach us, Lord God, that in those moments when we don't want to think or things get out of control or we're hurting, that your spirit would convict us and that we would begin to look and set you before us. And Lord, we thank you for the promise that in you, because we are in you through the gospel of Messiah Yeshua, we are at the right hand. We are seated with him in the heavenly places. Help us, Lord God, to realize this truth. And Lord, help us, guard us, that we might live this truth before our children that we might experience it for ourselves and live it before them, that they might take it as their inheritance as well. In Yeshua's name, amen.